0: Matthew two: sixteen through eighteen. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, "In Ramah there was a voice heard. Lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. This morning, you're probably going to hear a, a, a sermon about someone that you've never heard before. And you're probably thinking, wow, you know, I came to, to the core this morning. It's Christmas. We want to be... Uh, encouraged and lifted up, and here I am about to preach a sermon on Herod. But the truth of the matter is, Herod is a character of Christmas. Also, it's important to understand that Christmas, the Christmas event, I shouldn't say story. If you want a Christmas story, you can go watch the the movie about the boy in in the BB gun, but this We really, honestly, should not call this a story. This is a true historical event. What Mary Carol read for us in Matthew tells us that um, there is now, because Jesus is born, there is now a clash of kingdoms, a game of thrones, if you will, where two sides now compete for the throne. You see, the truth is, the Christmas story is not in Matthew 2. Well, it is. But if you really want to go to the very beginnings of this this Christmas event, this, this birth of Christ, you actually need to go all the way back to the beginning of your Bibles, to Genesis 3, and read this verse, verse 15, "...and I will cause hostility between you and the woman." And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see, friends, the the prophecy of the coming of this baby, this this coming Messiah is not just in Malachi or in Jeremiah uh, or in Matthew and Luke. It is in Genesis. We actually have to begin. And yes, even in this real historical event, there is a villain. In fact, some of our greatest Christmas movies have villains. We all know the Grinch, right? Now, the good thing about the Grinch is that he turned out to be okay once his heart grew three, three sizes, correct? There's also, uh, even before him, Ebenezer Scrooge, okay? We all know about Ebenezer Scrooge. And if you're in my generation, you know that Home Alone had two villains, Harry and Marv, who really did not turn out to be so smart, the Wet Bandits, remember? Even Hallmark movies have a villain. It's always this really neat-looking guy who's trying to wreck Christmas. He's usually the heartless developer ready to bulldoze the family Christmas bakery or toy store, And, you know, then all of a sudden this real, you know, hunky, good-looking guy comes to the rescue. They're all the same. Right? Well, the original event has a monster named Herod. Herod uh, figures very prominently in in this Christmas event to ignore Herod I know we want to focus on Mary and and Joseph and the shepherds and, and all those people. They're all important. But can I say to you this morning, Herod is important too. Because without Herod, you really don't get the common thread throughout Scripture of what is really going on with Jesus being born. He's a baby. How is a baby being born going to tick anyone off to the point of genocide? It is if you have two spiritual kingdoms competing for who's really going to be on the throne, right? You see, this original Christmas monster is is sent from Satan himself. And by the way, there are there are uh, figures like Herod throughout the scriptures. And I'll get into that here in a second. But underneath this warm glow of Christmas truly is a dark thread of violence, a sign of a cosmic clash of kingdoms against all things good. So let's try to understand. First of all, you've got to understand who is Matthew's audience. Honestly, his audience is not us. It's the Jews. So when you read that, where it simply says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, Matthew 2, verse 1, during the reign of King Herod. That right there tells you, oh, okay, this is, going to, this is about to get interesting. Because to fully understand what's, what happens in Matthew's gospel, you really do have to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Because... It says, Paul wrote, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You may not see it, I may not see it, but there is a war raging, and it's spiritual. In fact, we are reminded that Lucifer fell from heaven. This great songster leader. Okay? Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 reminds us that he fell from glory and he takes his band of demons with him. And, and yes, the Christmas story truly starts in the Garden of Eden with Genesis 3:15. But please help me, help me just kind of. Give me a little bit of time here to, to help you unpack or unwrap this story. You see, because throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, this involves a long and bloody struggle between the offspring of Satan and the seed of the woman. We see this played out as son of Adam, Cain, right? Cain kills his brother in cold blood. The triumph of his works over Abel's righteous sacrifice, but then God raises up Seth. And from Seth, you can go all the way to Christ. A son of Seth is born. His name is Abraham. He is called out of his homeland. Three times, Abraham's family is threatened by famine, sin, and yes, infertility. But God's birth a miracle in Isaac. Another son of Abraham, Jacob, has complete family dysfunction. We talked a little bit about family dysfunction. Uh, As some people would say, you put the fun in dysfunction. But Jacob's own sinful scheming and famine, but God again raises up Joseph. Later on, Pharaoh, who uh, abandoned the way of Joseph, saw the Jews as horrible people, and yes, in Exodus 2, wants to wipe out all the... Wait for it, all the male Jewish boys. Does that sound familiar? Because now we go to the New Testament where Herod is trying to do the very same thing. Even in Esther, Satan recruited, recruited excuse me the wicked Haman who threatened to use his power in Persia to totally eliminate God's people. And yet even many today can still remember Now that generation is fading, but can still remember when Hitler killed 6 million Jews. You see, friends, we are still living in this cosmic battle between good and evil. But here's the good news. Jesus is on the throne. Amen. There is no king today that can truly take away his power. And and you don't have to turn to it, but I, I love this song. You may never think of it as a Christmas carol. Maybe it's not. But you know, it really does speak of this cosmic warfare. And it reminds us to put our trust in God. Martin Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Listen to what he says. This was written hundreds of years ago. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. But then we realize, though though all the, in all this world, with demons' field should threaten to undo, undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. You see, friends, this has been a battle, a clash of kingdoms, long before any of us learned of Noah's ark and Daniel in the lion's den. There has been, as though people have been used, and yes, Satan uses people and God does too, there's this battle that we see. As believers, we can open up our eyes and realize that Jesus was not born into a snowy winter wonderland. He was born in a war zone. Okay? He was, Jesus was chased out of, a, out of his manger into Egypt by Herod, who also sacrificed Bethlehem's infant children for the sake of power. You know, this in the Advent, we're, we're thinking of peace. You know, Jesus said, blessed be the peacemakers. Do you know sometimes it takes war to make peace? You see, our problem is we think we're supposed to be peacekeepers. There's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Jesus came, he created, he, he fought the evils of this world, and he made peace there's actually a gun called a peacemaker. It's not called a peacekeeper. It's called a peacemaker. If you look at Revelation, you realize that the Christ that will come again is a warrior. Do you know what's interesting? Uh, Again, it it would take a little bit of time to study this, but in, in the days of Christ, when Rome ruled the world, so to speak, kings rode on donkeys in times of peace. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But the Bible tells us that when he comes again, he is on a white horse. You know why? Because every person who read that knew kings ride horses in times of war. You see this difference here? Uh, and so we... we Now, I'll be honest. Herod did some amazing things. He built the temple that the Jews in Jesus' day... Uh, Worship. In fact, part of that temple is still there. I have seen uh, the aqueducts that he has made. But you see, the problem with Herod, he did all of this out of fear. He did this because he, he needed people to like him. You see, the problem with Herod is that he wasn't fully Jewish, so he could never truly be king. In fact, Herod even tried to have all the elite leaders in Jerusalem killed when he died arranging for them to be herded into the, uh, this, this arena and killed the moment he passed. In fact, he actually had many of his family killed. Uh, his wife, his mother-in-law, you may have thought about it, but Herod actually had her killed, and three of his sons. So you can you get this idea of this paranoid, fearful leader, and you realize when someone says, hey, there's a king of the jews that has been born herod did not take that so easily and neither did all of jerusalem matthew 2 verse 3 reminds us jerusalem was disturbed you see if your king is someone that can just go off the rails that quick and there's word of another king that's not good for you you see he 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 he, he lived and he created this culture of fear Because he understood that, and we understand this today, in any kingdom, there can only be one king. We've all seen the movies. In fact, now it's just almost just made fun of, especially these westerns. Somebody walks into a saloon and they say, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And they go outside and they, you know, one of them's going to be shot in a duel. Well, see, friends, this is the greatest duel of all time. And while Satan is still still bothering us and torturing the world, he is doing it from a place of loss, not a place of victory. You see, the the story of Christmas is honestly a story of supernatural clashing, supernatural war. But here's the great thing. When men and women rise up against God, look at what David wrote in Psalm 2. It says... (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. It says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. There, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, "As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill." You see, friends, the the story of Christmas. As we look at this monster, the story is that God has already determined that Jesus would be king. The earth is full today of graves of kings who tried to, in their own way, destroy the kingdom of God. Nero had Christians burned. Now, of course, he, he did all the destruction and then turned around and told the public, well, the Christians did this. You see, Herod initiated a culture of fear in Israel, but he was no match for God. That's what you need to keep in mind today, that while we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, and yes, sometimes it feels like we do, because we see that person and we say, why are they against me? What have I done to them? Friends, we need to understand it's not them, that that you and I, I even had a conversation with someone uh, who I hold in great respect I was going through an issue, and I said, why did that person do that? And he said, David, first of all, get over it. And I said, no, hold on, that's not very, that's not pastoral. Get over it. But sometimes it is, because sometimes you have to move on. And then he said, don't you know that what's really happening here is that Satan is trying to crush you? And I thought, well, no, I kind of want to crush that guy. But I didn't see it that way. You know why? Because it's easy. That's why Paul wrote those words. Don't forget, we're not wrestling against each other. There is a higher power. There's more going on than what we can see. And once we realize that the Herods of the earth, and even in in our present day, you know, uh, Iran had a leader that just publicly said, man, if we could nuke Israel, that would just be glorious. Another Herod. But you see, God is sovereign. Amen? That's what you need to keep in mind when you read this lovely Christmas story that really goes south for Jesus and his family. Hey, Joseph, I'm an angel of God, and you need to get out of here. Okay? You need to move on. You need to go to Egypt because there is someone that wants to murder your son. Think about it. Think about it, the idea that he was threatened by a child. But one one Christian author actually says this. I never thought about it like this. Quote, Satan hates children because he hates Jesus. When evil destroys the least of these, from Matthew 25, the most vulnerable among us, it destroys a picture of Jesus himself, of the child delivered by the woman who crushes the head of a reptilian overlord. The demonic powers know that the human race is saved and they're vanquished, by a child born of a woman, and so they hate the children who bear his nature. The satanic powers want the kingdoms of the universe, and a child uproots their reign. God doesn't work how we work. You know, and we talked about this, the disciples. In fact, one of them, man, he wanted a political ruler. And when Jesus said, even said around Pilate, <coughs> you know, my, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. For those of us who lean on Christ, our value system is never going to be of this world. The way that we do things are never going to be the way the herods of this world do things. What is what did the prophet Isaiah say unto us a child is born unto us a son is given. Now for us we 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 love that Oh, that's beautiful. But but have you ever read that and thought of it in context of judgment against evil authority? You see, this child threatens the powers of evil, literally the powers of hell, this, this baby that's born. This child that was born in a manger was actually a sign of judgment to those who do evil. He is peace to those who put their trust in him but he's an enemy to those who go their own way. It's not popular today. I don't think it's ever really been popular to read Romans and, and hear that when, when the Apostle Paul says, uh, "If you are an enemy of God if, you're, if you don't put your trust in him. But see, for those who are evil, this is judgment, but for those of us who, who have accepted and kneeled down to the king of kings, this is a sign of hope of something that is new, right? Matthew narrates Herod's violence against the innocent people. He quotes Jeremiah 31, talks of the the weeping endured by uh, Hebrew mothers. Now, there's a few mothers out here. Now, can you imagine somebody breaking down your door and killing your children in front of you? Now, I know some of you, y'all would would kill them, right? And that's natural you would you would say no you're not going to do that to me but you see our again our mindset is western culture america take you know you have a right to defend yourself these people had no rights defenseless women who watched their own children being slaughtered you see matthew in his gospel has already made the exile a turning point in his thoughts in matthew 1, 11 through 12 because for, for at that time, the Davidic line, was, it was dethroned. The tears of the exiles in Je- Jeremiah's day end in the tears of the mothers of Bethlehem. You see, finally, finally, you ever said that when you've been waiting on something? Finally, the heir to David's throne has come. Now, you and, you and I, we, we may not can see this as clear because we're not Jewish. We didn't live in these times. But if you really put all the pieces together, you see, hey, there is a new sheriff in town. And he's, you, ever had, you ever had somebody say, hey, you know, don't mess with so-and-so. They, they've come to clean house. That's what Jesus did. Spiritually, when he, when he was born, when he died on the cross, when he rose again, He cut off the snake's head. The true Christmas story is not Santa Claus and Rudolph and Frosty. I got nothing against them. But the true story is a battle story. It is a story of a king who takes his double-edged sword and cuts the serpent's head off and says, "I'm I'm the ruler. I'm the king. The sin that has so gripped human hearts is now being rolled back. Christmas reminds us of the true kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom that prizes power over vulnerable people. In fact, Jesus even warned and said, you see how the Gentiles are, don't don't be like them, be a servant. Jesus' kingdom says the last shall be first. A kingdom made up of weak of, the, of the, um, the destitute. Now, this doesn't mean that suffering and violence and bloodshed is, is any less evil or hard to endure. Matthew's not giving a fake Christmas, but he is telling us that a peacemaker has come. He is telling us that all of the the wishes and dreams and prophecies and, and tears of Jewish people have finally been realized. Now, the ironic thing for us is that for so many Jewish people, it still isn't realized. And the Bible tells us God has, in His own sovereignty and through His plan, He has blinded them. But we see the light. And the light for Jesus comes in Matthew 2, 19 that says, but when Herod died you see friends no earthly king no earthly kingdom lasts forever there's only one kingdom that will last and yes many have clashed many have warred against that kingdom but jesus is still alive so what happened to the baby that herod tried to kill well, his words in Revelation say, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. You see, when we gather on these Sundays and when we talk to Jesus, to our friends and neighbors, when we work and, yes, when we play, we need to do all of this knowing that our king rules. One of my favorite hymns says, This is my father's world, and though the, the wrong seems all oh so strong. God is still the ruler yet. I quoted this song earlier in my message, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and though this world with devil's filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fail Him." When Jesus and Satan were in the wilderness, what was Jesus' weapon? He said, it is written. Your greatest weapon isn't, is not actually prayer. Now, you should pray. But the Scriptures teach us that the one weapon that we have, if you look at Ephesians and you look at all of the, the helmet of salvation and the, the breastplate of righteousness, and all, there's only one weapon. All of that's for defense, Right? Jesus said, it is written. Friends, here's one thing to remember about those who are like Herod. And then Jesus even said this. He said, their father is a liar. Satan is a liar. And then he said, now, now, now this is where we really, our eyes open. Pharaoh tried to kill all the, the baby Jew boy Jews. Herod tried to kill all the baby boy Jews in Bethlehem. Haman wanted to kill all of the, Jews in Persia. What else did Jesus say? He said that Satan was a murderer. You see, when you start putting all these pieces together, you really do realize okay, this is more than just, yay, Jesus is born. This is the king has come. And that disturbs people. You see, let me just let me just end with this because sometimes we do need to do a little soul searching. If you picked any character of Christmas, who would you want to be? Don't answer that out loud. But maybe some people say I, I would love to have been the shepherds and seen the angels, and or maybe I would have loved to have been Joseph. I don't think I would have wanted to have been Joseph. Maybe Mary. Because, you know, it's amazing. It says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. I guarantee you there's one person you wouldn't pick. But sometimes we're a little more like him than we think we are, and that's Herod. Oh, no, no, no. You're not going to go massacre anyone, I know. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who, really, deep down, where you don't speak of, where only God knows, who really sits on the throne of your heart you see that's really what we need to get out of this out of this event today because Herod has come and gone his kids have come and gone and again their rule ended but sometimes we allow ourselves to sit on this throne in our hearts as as Joshua said to the people before he <coughs> excuse me before he died Choose this day whom you will serve. And then he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now just think about what did he say? He didn't say we will serve God. He said the Lord. What is a Lord? It's who you serve. It's who has authority over you. It's who tells you what to do. It's not the other way around. You see... The problem is that when Jesus even enters our life, he disrupts our power. King King Herod's reaction to Christ is in a sense a picture of us all. One author said if you want to be king and someone else comes along saying he is the king, one of you got to give. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. It is a claim of absolute authority, a summons to unconditional loyalty and inevitably triggers deep resistance within the human heart. This dark episode of King Herod's violent lust for power points to our natural resistance, even hatred sometimes of the claim of God on our lives. Because you see, the human spirit creates God's out of anything we like. Now, no, we don't have a giant statue. We don't have an astro pole. Thank God, in here. But we make little idols for ourselves, and we tell ourselves, "Well, you know, I love my family more than anything." Oh, do you? That's my wife will tell you. That's 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 where her and God clash. Well, that's my children, and I think God says, "No, that's my children." Or whatever it may be that we, we, we prize in our hearts. You see, we, we would never think of murder. We would never think of all these disastrous things that this man did. But when it comes down to it, we have to ask ourselves, have we made room for Jesus? Is he king in our life? And then even if there are days when maybe we, we have to get up and realize, oh, sorry, Lord, today I wanted to be king. You remember the Lion King? It is the greatest Disney movie of all time, and if you don't believe it, you're wrong. But you know that song he says, I just can't wait to be king. You see, sometimes, even in our own spiritual pride, we whisper that to ourselves. I just can't wait to be in charge. What were any of us thinking at the age of, I don't know, seven and then 17? I just can't wait to be an adult. What lunacy. We couldn't wait to be in control. We couldn't wait to be able to say, you don't get to tell me what to do. And then you realize the older you get, more and more people are telling you what to do. We just can't wait to be king, can we? You see, that was Herod's problem, and sometimes it's ours. Herod serves as a powerful reminder that can, also that we cannot be neutral about Jesus. Now, I want to use another evil person right now, and his name was Pontius Pilate, but he said, he actually had a wonderful question to ask to the public. He said, what shall I do with this person, Jesus? That's the question you and I have to ask every day. What will I do, Jesus? What will I do with this Jesus? Not on Sunday morning when I, I'm, I got my cologne on like I like it, and I've shaved, and I look good in my uniform, I'm talking about Monday morning. What do I do with Jesus? Will he be over me then? He better be, because you'll need him on Monday too, and Tuesday and Wednesday and the day after Christmas. Let me just read to you in closing one more song that I think explains uh, a lot of what, uh, what we're talking about here. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burden distress us, he will never leave us alone. God is still on the throne, and he will remember his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Father, today, we need that reminder as we look around our world, maybe as we take a look inside, We realize sometimes, Lord, we don't want you on the throne because we want to do it our way. As that great popular song said, I did it my way. But how foolish of us. We're not God. We're not even close. We're dust. And yet sometimes, Lord, we think we know better than you. We think, Lord, maybe in this instance I need to sit on the throne and I'll, I'll do it my way. And then, Lord, what a mess we have to clean up. So, Lord, help us daily, even those who are saved, those who walk with you and read our Bibles and, and, and do all these things that, that, we, that you ask of us and we do it out of love. But yet, Lord, this, this, this flesh in us, this carnal nature, still wars within us to say, hey, today, let me do it my way. We would never think of ourselves as little Herods. But Lord, deep down, Father, where no one else sees, Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things. So Lord, what we need is a change of heart. What we need is for your spirit to come and to change us, to create in us a new heart so that our heart is like Jesus and not like the world. We know, Lord, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. So, Lord, today we do claim Jesus as king. And yes, Lord, we know that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. But, Lord, some of those people will do that in a place that none of us desire to be. We want to do it now. We want to do it on this earth so that we can spend eternity with you in heaven and still claim you King of kings and Lord of lords. May it be true for each one of us in our own hearts today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.